Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Good morning and Merry Christmas. That was that was really like can't hear anyone saying Merry Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's much better. That's much better. So you know we've been we've been talking about this idea of, of peace, um, which is so necessary today and needed. Um, everywhere everywhere we look, there is there is a there is a. Um, just kind of a, a gap of peace. And uh, it's interesting because as we look at the Christmas story in the, in the New Testament, uh, we see the announcement made by the angels to the shepherds on that hillside just outside of Bethlehem. And they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And, and, and really they say glory to God because God chose to send his son Jesus to rescue us from our sins. And they say peace on earth because God chose to send his son Jesus to rescue us on earth. And and so really, it is out of an abundance of gratitude that we worship and honor God for, for giving Jesus our Savior, and we strive to grow in peace with others around us because Jesus made peace for us, that he is our peace. And, and really what, what I've tried to communicate the last few weeks as we've been meeting and, and, and worshiping together is this, that our circumstances and our situations, regardless of how they look, do not determine our peace, that our peace is found in Christ. Our peace is far more of a character thing than it is a circumstance thing. And, and so <clears throat> we've talked about peace in the unplanned, that, that we've all experienced things, that we have plans and we make plans and those go sideways and, and we get frustrated, understandably so. Or maybe the plans we had are, are, are just thrown off to the side and, and it's not just frustrating, it's, it's debilitating. And then last week we talked about peace in the unfair, that, that we all experience unfairness because that's the reality is that life is by its very nature unfair. But, but we see peace in the midst of that. And so this morning I want to share briefly with you peace in the unbelievable because we may, it might be peace in the unplanned, the unfair, but it leads to peace in the unbelievable. And the unbelievable is this, that God became man to bring peace in our souls, not because we deserve it, but because that's who God is. It's not an issue of deserving it, but it's because of the character of God, because of who he is, not even because who we are. It's because of how he created us and what he placed within us, his image. And so this morning, there's, there's two things that I want to kind of pull out of the Christmas story, and that is the witnesses and the words of peace in the unbelievable. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading in verse 8. I'm actually going to skip around a little bit because I want to look at the witnesses first, and then I want to look at the Word. And so I'm going to jump around in, in between verses 8 through 20, and so you can kind of follow along. Um, <clears throat> but let me, let me start in verse 8. 
Luke writes, and in the same region where the manger was and, and, and just outside of Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round around them, and they were filled with great fear. Jumping down to verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, and when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And then verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And so you've got these these shepherds who are are these major characters in 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 the story. And... And it's interesting because there's kind of a development in the, in the occupation of shepherding between the Old Testament and to the point where we are in the New Testament here at the birth of Christ. And so kind of post-Eden, after Adam and Eve got kicked out of Eden for disobeying God, we see that shepherding is, seems to be a favorable occupation, that Abel was a shepherd, and God was very pleased with the way he, he interacted with God, and he was, he was pleased with him. When you move into the, the time of the patriarchs in the Old Testament, what we see is that most of the patriarchs, some of their primary, they were primarily shepherds, and so it was a very noble occupation back then. And then, and then, you, get, then you get into, into the, the time of enslavement in Egypt, where, where Israel is now, they're, they're all slaves in Egypt. And in Egypt, shepherding was not a preferred occupation because the Egyptians were agriculturalists and they despised shepherding because sheep and goats destroy their crops. And so shepherding was a very lowly thing. It was despised. And so that even brought more despise from the Egyptians toward the Israelites because of, because of how they were even characterized in their occupations. And so then we, we move a little further with, with the exodus and the wanderings in the desert. And then finally, after some disobedience and then reorienting, the Israelites come into the land of Canaan. Yet there were very few tribes of Israel that continued in pastoral life. And so basically shepherding kind of became an occupation for the laboring class. And, and, and later through the prophets, the time of the prophets and, and the kings in Israel, sheep herding began to symbolize judgment and social desolation. In fact, some shepherds even earned a poor reputation. And then others just kind of got stereotyped and lumped in with, with the bad ones. And then later as we see those 400 years of kind of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament and into the time of Christ, what we see is there's kind of a rabbinical development of shepherding. And, and so really the, the priest and, and the, the, the ruling religious class saw shepherding as a very, very kind of uh, despised thing because as a shepherd you were constantly ceremonially unclean. And so you really weren't allowed to be at the temple. You weren't allowed to be there because you were just constantly unclean, walking in in excrement and and being out with the sheep. 
And, and so they banned grazing to the desert plains and so made it hard for, for shepherds to take their flocks to graze. In fact, they made other laws, and the other laws, one of them was that a shepherd couldn't fulfill a, a judicial office. In fact, in fact, a shepherd's testimony was not allowed in, a, in court. And, and so, so it, they really became labeled as sinners just like the others that the, that the Pharisees and the scribes and the rabbis, that they began to, to categorize people and shepherds were part of the sinners category. However, in today's vernacular, shepherds were essential. Because, I mean, they weren't liked, but they were essential. And the reason they were essential is because of the, 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 the law of Moses and the requirement of sacrifices in the temple. That, that God desired an, uh, a spotless and unblemished lamb and the sheep that would, would be brought into the temple for sacrifice. And so they were absolutely necessary, even though the priests and, and, the, and all of those ruling religious types despised shepherds. They needed them to fulfill their calling. And so we're, there, there were actually those shepherds who really, this wasn't really that, the, the greatest, I guess, uh, the greatest change for their, because it didn't really change their lives really as far as them being ceremonially unclean and, and still despised, but there were some who were called temple shepherds. And the temple shepherds were those who shepherded the flocks that the priests would choose lambs and sheep for the temple sacrifices. Again, it didn't, didn't really give them any, any, any better position in, in the situation or in, in their lives, but but they, they were temple shepherds. And, and so temper, temple shepherds were necessary to, again, keep watch over the flocks that would yield the lambs for those sacrifices. And, and it's interesting because when, when you look at, at the story of the nativity and in Bethlehem and on just the outskirts of Bethlehem, where they were located was kind of, it was a, it was a significant place historically. It was, it was a place where where, where on the outskirts of Bethlehem, Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. And there was memorials built there. And there was a tower built there. And so there was this tower, uh, Minas Tirith. Nope, wrong thing. Uh, it was Mi- Migdal Eder, but you can see how you would mix those two up. Um, but anyway, uh, so there was this tower Migdal Eder, which was built on the outskirts of Bethlehem in a field, and, and it was, in Hebrew, it's, it's translated the Tower of the Flock. And it was a place that was, again, there from the time of the patriarchs, and, and there was this tower that they would go up into, and it was still there when Jesus was born. In fact, it's been rebuilt. It's still there today, but, but it was rebuilt. It was, it was there when Jesus was born, and, and what would happen was the flocks would graze around that tower, and the shepherds would watch, but the priests would go up into the tower so that they wouldn't be defiled and unclean, and they would watch from their tower, which I don't know, maybe that's part of our, the ivory tower, but, but they're in the tower looking down on the shepherds and the sheep to kind of keep watch over what's going on. And they weren't there all the time, but that's where they could go and not be defiled from being in with the sheep and still go back to the temple. And, and what's, what's, what's further, further interesting about this is in, in, the, in, in Micah, in the Old Testament, 
Micah the prophet speaks a word of prophecy about this very tower, this place. He says in Micah 4.8, says, In you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. And so many Jewish writers during the time and those who, who were living in that time and up through the years between the Old and the New Testament, it became an, an, basically an understood thing that based on this prophecy, those Jewish leaders and writers and scholars concluded that from all the places in Israel, it would be Migdal Eder where the arrival of the Messiah would be declared first. Think about that for a second that it would be declared first. The arrival of the Messiah would be declared on that hillside by that tower. And, and, and so they, they really believed that that's what, of, of all, every, everywhere in, in Israel, that's where, it would be, that's where it would happen. And so again, the shepherds were continuously defiled, but someone had to tend the sheep that would produce temple sacrifices. And, and so it's interesting when we think about the shepherds in the story of the nativity, where they were located, the sheep that they were watching, these were most likely temple shepherds. And so these the shepherds at the birth of Jesus had kind of a, un, a unique part of their occupation as shepherds. They were tending the flock with lambs that would be the sacrifice for the atonement of Israel, the sacrificial system. So think about that just for a second. The very shepherds to whom the angels appeared before who were announcing this incredible event that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world had been all their lives watching and caring for the lambs that symbolized this coming. Like, that's awesome. That here they, they were all their lives. They've been watching. They've been raising lambs who cover Israel's sins. Could it be that these shepherds had been prepared through countless long, long nights reflecting on the destiny of their sheep for this message about the Lamb of God? That they who were denied from even testifying in court, from being a witness in a court case, were the first ones that witnessed and then testified about the birth of the Messiah. Like, what an incredible thing. What an amazing thing that, that from long ago, this was the spot that the Messiah would first be announced, and it would be announced to shepherds who were raising lambs for temple sacrifice who Jesus would cause to cease when he gave his life once and for all for the sins of humankind. Like, what an awesome thing. Those were the witnesses to this peace that the angels announced that night. In Bethlehem. Back to the text. We have the witnesses, but we also have the words of this peace. This, this peace that is unbelievable. Look at, look at verse 10. The angels, and it says in verse 10, and the angels said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so the message, the word that was given about peace, this, it, this almost unbelievable situation and scenario. And, and here's what's interesting. This word of peace was given at a very interesting time in history. Because the Roman Empire ruled the known world at that time. And it was during a time called the Pax Romana. How many of you in like middle school history remember that? Something called the Pax Romana. It's the Roman peace. Uh, talk to Mike Ricklick at some point and he'll teach you all about it. He'll probably even dress up when he does it. But, but, but anyway, so it's, it's called the Roman peace and it was 200 years of peace during the Roman Empire. Peace, I would probably put air quotes around. Because it began in 27 BC and it eliminated the prospect of civil war across the Roman Empire. However, as we all know very well, the absence of war does not guarantee the presence of peace. In fact, the Stoic philosopher Epictetus wrote and said this about the emperor of Rome at the time during the Pax Romana. He said this, he said, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, from grief, from envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more after than even outward peace. And isn't that true? No matter what a governor or a president or a king or an emperor can do in an environment, they cannot bring peace to our souls. They cannot give us peace of mind. They cannot give us peace that resides in our heart. The reality during the Pax Romana was this, that, that people were highly taxed that unemployment was incredibly high. Their moral values were degrading rapidly. And this, I mean, we can't relate to this at all. So, I mean, it's just, bear with me. And a military state was fully in control of the populace. So really, the, 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 the moment of time, the environment that Jesus was born into is not that much unlike the moment of time that we are living in today. And so really Roman law, Greek philosophy, and even the Jewish religious rituals could not meet the need of peace for the human heart. None of it worked. And God didn't even design the law of Moses to bring peace to people's hearts. It was more to recognize the difficulty and the trouble and the sin that was in people's hearts. And so what did God do to fix this problem, to do what the emperor could not do? God did not send a soldier or a reformer or a philosopher. He sent a savior who was God in the flesh to bring peace into the hearts of those who would surrender and obey, just like Mary and Joseph surrendered and obeyed at the word of the angel. That's what God did. Unlike the Roman peace, the shalom or the peace of God brings completeness and wholeness to every person who will humble themselves and accept it. And this peace, as I said, is not attached to circumstances, 
but it is grafted into character. The New Testament, Paul talks about us being grafted into Jesus Christ. And that's the same thing with with peace and God's announcement of peace is that God's peace is then grafted into our lives and it is no longer dependent on things around us, but it is grafted into our character, who we are. We are people of peace. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, those who look like me. And, and And so here you've got the witnesses of this word of peace this word of hope, this word of joy. And they go and and they are the first to testify to the birth of the Messiah. And and here's what's interesting, that message in verse 11. I want to read that again because this sentence has so much in it. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Every part of that sentence has weight and significance. On this day, a real day in history, like today is a real day in history. In a city, in a real world, like Modesto is a real city in the real world. A savior, a savior whose whose purpose is to take away our guilt. Christ, who fulfills all our hope. The Lord, the Lord, a a title that brings with it the reality of one who will defeat all enemies and bring peace to those who believe. That's a packed sentence, full of hope and full of joy and full of peace. You see, that is the word these first witnesses carry to a world in sin and error pining. And you, you better believe that the, that, the, that the shepherds' souls felt their worth. A thrill of hope, and the weary world rejoiced. For yonder on that hillside outside of Bethlehem breaks a new and glorious morning. And undoubtedly, the shepherds fell to their knees as they heard the angels' voices. It was for sure a divine night that Christ was born. That's the witness in the word. That is peace in the unbelievable because it is unbelievable that God would do that and bring peace in the manner in which he did, in the time, in the moment, in the darkness that he did. But I skipped over one verse. Verse 19. And I want to end with that. Verse 19, it shifts back to Mary. And it says, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary paused and treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart. From from all the way from the initial visit of Gabriel to her, 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 her house, to the announcement of her unwed pregnancy, to the trip from from Nazareth to Bethlehem, to not being able to find a place to stay, to being stuck in in a cave with travelers, animals, and probably some other people who couldn't find a place to stay, giving birth, 
In that context, Mary treasured and pondered. To treasure something is to preserve it or keep it safe, to be fully aware of its value, to keep it close. Mary kept those things close to her, and she pondered them, or, or she reflected deeply. She thought seriously about those things for the rest of her life. She treasured and pondered all of those things, the memories that weren't so good and the memories that, that made her warm and fuzzy. I would imagine that the memory of maybe former friendships, those who cut her off because she was pregnant out of wedlock, because we know that that would have happened. The, the, the not great memories about the worst trip in the world from Nazareth to Bethlehem, nine months pregnant, literally ready to give birth. And the changed plans of, of what she thought was going to be her marriage and raising a family. All those things plus all the good things, but she treasured and pondered those things because Mary's peace emerged from her holding tightly to God's word and his character no matter what her circumstances. It didn't matter what was going on didn't matter what was going on. I think maybe as, as, as maybe others in, the, in that cave that night were tweeting hashtag manger problems, Mary was pondering and treasuring that moment because of what God accomplished. So the question I think for us this morning is this, have you been treasuring and pondering what God is doing during this season of your life. I don't think anybody in their right mind would say, yeah, 20, I treasure and I ponder 2020. But you know what? Because of Jesus, that's what we can do. Just like Mary. We can treasure and ponder this time because God is doing something very specific in and through us? Or are you rejecting and reacting to the work that God is doing currently in your life? Are we like Mary, treasuring and pondering? Or are we maybe like the rest of the world that says, no, 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 my plans are certain and I'm going to reject unfairness and I'm going to fix things rather than recognizing the peace that we can have in the midst of the unplanned and in the face of the unfair, God brought about the unbelievable. Not only for Mary and Joseph, but for you and for me. And we can have peace because that child born in chaos is not just a child, but he is our peace. I want you to watch and listen to the Reynolds story, and many of you are probably familiar with it. But I can guarantee you that their plans were interrupted in their life. And that I look at that family and think, that is not fair. But God is doing the unbelievable in their midst. I'm going to watch this.
before we had kids, we were both high school teachers, and um, I think we both thought for sure Mike would still be a high school teacher and coaching, and possibly I would be working part-time, but maybe home with the kids by now as well. Um, then we had Kylie, and I was working part-time at that point, and we, I think we just thought we were going to have, you know, the typical life. Um, when I got pregnant with Case, we thought that, um, you know, we were excited. We were going to be, we are going to have two kids, be done probably at two, and, and that was going to be it. Yeah, it was, you know, for us, I think it was everything for that we've ever done has been planned out. Um, you know, went to college right away, became teachers, you know, we're kind of doing what we had planned and boy and a girl is what we really kind of always wanted. And, you know, just kind of thought it was, you know, just traditional family, family of four and um, got to have different plans. Um, so when I was pregnant with Case, there was a couple things the doctor sort of noticed, but um, we kind of put it aside. We didn't do all of the testing because there was a risk of losing the baby. So we just figured, you know, we would move on and God would take care of whatever the issue was. And when he was born, um, he wasn't breathing. And so it was kind of a scary delivery. Um, but he was checked out by the pediatrician and there was no physical markers of anything wrong genetically with him. Um, as time went on, after a couple months, he wasn't making eye contact. His eyes were really fluttery. And we just, we knew from having Kylie that a lot of the stuff just wasn't okay. So we uh, went to the genetic specialist and um, after Bible study one Tuesday, I received a call um, from one of the doctor's assistants. And she just said, you know, your son has a genetic deletion and he's probably gonna have um, severe physical issues. He will most likely have epilepsy. Um, he may require a feeding tube. I was just in complete shock and I still, even at that point thought, well, maybe God, maybe this isn't right. Maybe there'll be a miracle. Maybe, maybe this won't be what's actually happening. Um, so the first two years of Case's life, he started having um, severe epilepsy. So he was having up to a thousand seizures a day. He was just constantly in seizure activity and he was on a lot of medications that um, caused a lot of side effects and some of the side effects would just cause severe sensory issues and so his body was just in a lot of pain. So he would scream all day and all night and we had a, a really hard time sleeping and so we would kind of take turns getting up. Hard time sleeping or we didn't we sleep? We didn't sleep. Um, there was a moment where um, Mike was at work and I remember Kylie um, calling for me and Case was screaming and I thought, I can't do this, God. I felt like I was just going to fall apart and I was ready just to be done with all of it. And um, in that moment, I felt like God, God's peace just came over me. I looked to the side and I I saw on the tree in our front yard, there was what looked like a cross that was had been cut into it. 
And um, in that moment, I just really felt like God was saying, you're not alone and I'm here with you. I'm always here with you and I'm gonna provide what you need along the way. And um, it was a moment that I'll never forget. And it felt like it was a special moment that God provided for me to really know that I wasn't alone and he was gonna give me um, peace throughout. Every, everyday life for us, um, I think continues to change. Um, you know, from when we first started to where we're at now, um, every day is different and um, Case may never walk, um, but we continue to work on things to progress him and continue to, you know, build up strength in, in his core. Um, but I mean, a, a lot of it is, you know, doing things we never thought we'd be doing for a seven-year-old. Over the last seven years, uh, we have really been able to see what the body of Christ looks like, why we have the body of Christ. Um, we've had so many people uh, provide meals for us, provide for us financially to the penny of what we needed, you know, to make it through the month. Even just providing friendship and, you know, knocking on the door and insisting that they come in and pray for us or just be with us. And I think, you know, one of the things we've definitely learned is that there's a difference between easy and having peace. Um, just because things aren't easy doesn't mean you can't have peace. And it, it really, it's, it's been, it's, it's true. It's, I don't think anything's been easy in the last seven years, but we've been able to find joy and find peace in the little wins and just, you know, just how things are and accepting it. Well, I know what's so special is that, you know, Case really is the ultimate weakness. He needs everything provided for him, and yet God has been able to use him in such mighty ways that I always just wonder, you know, how can God use me, and how can God use all of us? And I know that he can because he uses all of Case's weaknesses, and he is just creating many miracles and blessings through that. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.